been doing this series, More Life Change, because we're not very creative or clever around here. It's what our church is all about. It's what we believe Jesus is all about. And so that's what we're going to talk about, especially this month, of more life change. And, and my wife is great with change. Some people really resist change. Some people aren't too keen on change. Some people are afraid of change. My, life, my wife absolutely loves change. Whether that's change of just moving around, we were in California before moving here, coast to coast, loved the change, you know, even moving and finding a house and loved moving things around. Husbands, you don't, actually I would tell you, don't do a show of hands, but some of you can, can relate to this because your wife just changes rooms to change room, doesn't she? Where it's just like, I don't like the way the bed is, so we're going to just move everything around. And you're like, what? It was fine the way it was, wasn't it? Yeah. But she loves change, and so therefore I've had to grow in my love for change. And I noticed this very, very early on, especially when we moved here, we got a house. And if you didn't know, the houses in California were like a quarter of this stage, just so you know how that works. And so we get here, and we got something we've never had before, a formal living room. No idea why you need a formal living room. We never used it as a formal living room, so it was very early on. Becky said, let's change it. We don't need a formal living room. What we really need is a place for all of our kids' junk. So it turned into the playroom, the Haas family playroom. And the rule was, kids, you do whatever you want to that playroom as long as at the end of the day, all of that stuff is back in the playroom. So we had a great playroom for you know, a couple years. And uh, as of recently, my wife said, I'm kind of tired of the playroom. It's time for a change. And I'm like, oh, no, what's this going to turn into now? And so she started getting her phone and pulling up something on Pinterest. <laughs> it will be the death of me, man. In fact, I am going to start. I'm doing the Godly Husbands group. I'm also going to do a Pinterest support group for men. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. We're going to meet daily early in the morning because <laughs> that's how much we need it. So she had this great idea for what was, was at the time the playroom. She was going to turn it into like this functional sitting reading room. I'm like, we're parents. We don't sit nor do we read, but whatever. And then like a desk for their kids to, for the kids to do the homework. So I was like, okay, you know, it looked great. It was a great idea. So she had the plan. She was going to get all the materials. And she's like, you can do that, right? And I'm like, no. <laughs> But I love you, so I'll give it a shot. It was one of those. And so it took some time. In fact, it took quite a bit of time of, of getting the playroom out, changing it over to this, what I just call the Pinterest room of our house. And we finished it just a few months ago. Let me show you what it looks like now. I did okay. I did all right. I am proud to say as your pastor, I am a master shiplapper. Or at least I felt like I was by the end of this whole thing. Now, here's what I, I, I soon realized, and, and this is a lesson I'm sure all of you have heard or if you have lived out yourself, that to get to that, it obviously took a lot of work. We had to have plans and some form of an idea, which was, of course, all in, in my wife's head, and she knew what she wanted. We, we had to spend some money to get it done. So, I mean, there, there was some work involved. In fact, there was a lot of work involved, but there was something that I did not have. And as much as I would have worked hard, as much as we had the right plan to get to that, I was starting with basically this, raw materials, right? And no matter how hard I worked, no matter how much I wanted to go from this to that, I had to have the right tools, didn't I? A lesson my dad taught me, who's a carpenter and worked in construction, he said, Brian, you always have to have the right tools. Any project you have, you have to make sure you have the right, what is it? The right tools. And so we had this vision, well, she had this vision, I was catching up to it, of what this room would look like and what it was going to take and the hard work and the materials, but there's no way it would have gone to that. And no way we could have changed that room into that 
if we didn't have the right tools. Now, in our lives, not even just spiritually speaking, lives in general, I mean, we look at what is current, the this of our lives. And we look at this, and then we look at where we want to be, and we look at this and where we are hoping to be, and we want to go from this to that, and we try everything. In fact, we do work really hard, and we try and try, and we hope and hope, and we realize pretty quick that wishful thinking, hopeful thinking... Even the hard work does not go, does not cause change from this to that unless you absolutely have the right tools. You cannot cause change just with the hard work. Yes, it's going to be work to cause change in your life, but once you say yes to Jesus, and understand, that's where it begins. That's where it starts. You say yes to Jesus, and, and he gives us those tools, and he gives us the direction, and he gives us the that that we're hoping for, that kind of life, right? That kind of marriage, that kind of family, those types of kids. There's a good and a bad type of those types of kids. Just We're talking about the good side of those. <laughs> we want that in our community. We want that kind of a job. We see this, and we want that. But we cannot get there. We cannot see that kind of change with this until we're willing to look at the tools. So what, what is the this? And I'm hoping as I'm talking, things are starting to cycle through your mind. The this is of your life. Maybe it's addictions. If you don't want to call it an addiction yet, let's just call it a bad habit. It's probably an addiction, but that's between you and the Lord. So bad habits, addictions, depression, anxieties, fear in general, fear of the unknown, fear of what you're walking through of uncertainty. Maybe it's financial problems. Marital problems, what, what are the thises, the anger, the rage, the loneliness, the emptiness that you have been trying to change? This is where I am and I want to be that, I want to have that, I want my life to look like that, but this is where I'm at. And it's not for lack of trying, but we get to a point where we try and fail, try and fail, try and we're still with this and we haven't gotten to that yet, and so we start to get really comfortable with this, don't we? Well, this is just the life that I've been dealt. This is just the hand that I've been given. I'll just learn to deal with this. And we start to give up on that, that which God promised we should have, would desire for us to have. You're putting in the work, but do you have the right tools that you're working with? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm hoping today is purely helpful because it's been unbelievably helpful in my life. It's the words that we read from Jesus is what we now call Sermon on the Mount. The very, very beginning. If you got your Bibles, head over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to walk through these. And these are principles for change. This is the road to change. Once we say yes to Jesus, please understand, if you try to apply what we're going to talk about without first saying yes to Jesus, you're still not going to get anywhere. You're going to still find yourself stuck with this. Jesus is the change agent. We start there and then he gives us the tools to begin to walk down that road of change. You might have heard of these called the Beatitudes, the very beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I believe so much in this. I believe so much in this because of not just through Jesus' words, but if you finish through the Sermon on the Mount, he ends it with those that listen and do what I say, they're going to be wise versus the fool that doesn't listen and do what he says. So Jesus is saying, you want to go from this to that, you want to change, start with me, and then here's the tools, here's the application, here's the pathway, the roadway, call it whatever you want, that leads us through the life of, ch the life of change. Even in the world of recovery, Celebrate Recovery, we've got a great Celebrate Recovery ministry, and our Forsyth campus starting here, they'll be meeting here Tuesday nights starting in September. They use 
these principles, these beatitudes to walk through the road to recovery because it works, because it leads to change. And as I said, we're all about more life change. Now, there are eight beatitudes, eight principles, eight ways that we begin to use the tools that Jesus has given us. So if you're keeping an eye on your time, you're starting to do the math. I've got to talk about eight of these, and I've got about 15 minutes. So you better listen quick. <laughs> you with me? Unless you want to be here all day. So listen quick. We're going to go through them very fast. And I would hope that instead of always relying on me to tell you what to do, let me give you the starter. That's my job. Then this week, you go home. Keep reading these. Keep going through these. Apply these to your life. I'm going to scratch the surface with you on these. I want you to dig in a whole lot deeper. So here we go. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3. They all begin with blessed are. Blessed is another word for happy. So if you find yourself here, you're, say, you're in the this and you're not happy, this is going to be perfect for you. Because he's going to say, here's how you get to that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the poor in what? Spirit. Blessed is the poor in spirit. Now, we, you're going to notice most of these, all of these, have a countercultural idea. They, they don't make sense to us. It's turning our world upside down. We normally would not think of, yeah, blessed is the person who's poor. That's not how we normally think. Now, it's not saying poor financially. It's saying poor in, what was it again? Spirit. Poor in spirit. If you were to see somebody, here's the best way for me to explain this. If you were to see somebody walking around on crutches, you would think something's wrong with them physically, correct? Not a trick question. Not a judgmental thing. But you see somebody with crutches, something's wrong. Yes? yes. Not like you agree with me. All right, good, because I'm right on that one. <laughs> Somebody's walking around with crutches, something is obviously wrong. They have a broken ankle, they've twisted their knee, they're just getting old, whatever, right? Something's wrong where they need crutches. And I heard somebody once say to the Christian faith and, and as believers, well, man, that Christian life is just for people that need a crutch. And I'm like, yes, that's exactly right. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Crutches are for people that need help. Crutches are for people that cannot walk on their own two feet. I'm a believer in Jesus and I cannot walk on my own two feet through this life. I most certainly, every moment of every day, need Jesus. You call him a crutch or a savior, I call him a savior. But if our world wants to call him a crutch, I'm okay with that. Because I absolutely need him in my life. Poor in spirit means I'm broken. Means I have hurts. Means I cannot make it through another day without him. Blessed are the people that need Jesus in their life. Now with each of these, I'm going to give you an I will. So that gives you something to do. So these are the application side of this. So write them down, take a picture with it. We'll post them this week if you need it. Here's what it, here's the I will of this. I will humble myself before God, recognizing my need for him. In other words, I can't do this without him. That's why Jesus came. There's a great story where Jesus is around some Pharisees, but he's also around people that need him. And people begin to ridicule Jesus. Well, why are you hanging around that scum? And he says, I'm not here for the righteous. I'm here for the sinners. He says, the healthy don't need a doctor. The sick need a doctor. I've come for them. So as a believer in Jesus and a follower of him, yes, I need him. I'm a mess. I'm a mess and I need him. Poor in spirit is saying I need Jesus. We humble ourselves before him and we recognize our need for Jesus. All right, say it back to me. Blessed are the poor in Good job. All right, next one, verse four. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Again, something else we don't, we don't usually associate with being blessed. Blessed are those that mourn. Let me help you understand the word mourn. It is not sad or sadness, right? Sad can, can be a multitude of emotions ranging from high levels to low levels and everywhere in between. Mourning, to, to mourn, is a deep sorrow and regret. Mourn is to, to not just have the sorrow, but usually it's tied to some form of regret. 
regret. So blessed are those that recognize their past. Blessed are those that are deeply sorrowful about their past. Too often we, we try to ignore the past. No, 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 that never happened. No, I don't see it. I don't know what you're talking about. Blessed are those that recognize it, but they don't stay stuck. It doesn't say sadness, and it also doesn't say misery or miserable. Blessed are those that mourn. There's a difference between mourning and being in misery. Misery is a place. Misery is a space. Mourning is an action. When we get stuck, we get stuck in our misery. Therefore, you become miserable. I'm sure you all know some people that are just miserable. They're stuck, aren't they? Mourning is a movement. It is an action. We recognize what's wrong. We have deep sorrow, deep regret, but we don't stay stuck. There's movement forward. Blessed are those that mourn. Remember the, the last part of that? For they will be, do you remember? Comforted. Comforted. Why will they be comforted? Here's why. First of all, because God is the God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that, that he is the father of compassion, the God of all comfort. We read later on in the New Testament, it says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But also, that comfort happens knowing that even though we're regretful for some things, we regret some of our past, what Jesus did on the cross has covered that. So I can regret it. Man, if I had it to do over, I wouldn't. I have deep sorrow, but I don't stay stuck in my misery because I know that Jesus is moving me forward as well. You don't have to stay stuck with it. Blessed are those that are poor in spirit, but also blessed are those who mourn. Here's the I will that goes with blessed are those who mourn. Here it is. I will not stay stuck in my misery and regret. I will mourn but move forward because I know God cares about me and will comfort me. We do not stay stuck in our past. We recognize it. We are sorrowful over it, even the deepest of regrets. But there's no regret that we could have that Jesus will not forgive once we say yes to him. Blessed are those that are poor in. Bless those that mourn. Good. Here's the third one. Number five, or verse five. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek is another word. Literally, it means bridle wild horses. So we're talking about taming something that is out of control, bringing it under control. What Jesus is talking about is taking our out of control lives and saying we are now under his control. This is not about self-control. This is about him being in control. Do me a favor. Take your hands like this. Go like this. This is what we love to do with our lives. We love to hang on to it, right? I've got the reins. I'm hanging on to it. I am in control, so we like to believe. We at least like the illusion of being in control. And we hold on, and we hold on, and we hold on, and it gets exhausting. Things don't work. Now, I want you to do this. If you hang on to this long enough, and then you let go, there's a little relief there, isn't there? It feels a little weird at first, but it's a little relief. You're like, oh, I can kind of stretch. My hands are sweaty and clammy. There's relief when you are able to submit. Oh, I said the S word in church. Submit to God. That's what meek means. It's saying, God, you are in control. I'm going to submit to your authority. As parents, we use a phrase quite a bit. It doesn't, it doesn't have the same punch necessarily. Uh, well, what we read in scripture, if you've heard the phrase or if you've said it or your parents said it to you, it's my way or the what? Highway. No, you got it. It's my way or the highway. You got to get that grit in the high part. It's my way or the highway. That's basically what Jesus is saying, but a lot nicer. You couldn't go to your children and say, no, 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 blessed are the meek. That, they don't, that doesn't relate. It's my way or the highway. Jesus is saying, look, my way is what's best. Submit to my way. Allow me to take control of your life. Blessed are the meek. Here's the I will that goes with that. I will hold my life with an open hand. My life is not my own, but I surrender and submit to Jesus. 
Proverbs 16.3 says it like this. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. Whatever. Fill in the blank. Whatever you do, commit to the Lord, and he will establish your plans. So blessed are those that are poor in. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Allow him to have control in your life. If you want to go from this to that, we have to let go of this. We cannot keep hanging on to control if we want Jesus to lead us to the that which he desires for us. We get stuck in this, whether it's our misery or whether it's our need and desire to holding on to control what we think we can control. Allow God to lead you to the that that he is desiring for you. Here's the next one, verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I have no doubt that many of you in this room that this is emptiness. I'm not satisfied, it's just life isn't where I thought it would be. The that which I've been hoping for, I thought I would have been there by now. And you can feel lost, you can feel empty, not satisfied. So here Jesus is saying, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, have a desire to do what's right. And it's interesting, the reward, the change associated with that that Jesus says is they will be, what did it say? Filled. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. Now here's a, here's a little, I'll give you some math. Here, here's a good math principle for you. So if I have my hand, right now it's empty. There's nothing in there. If I want to fill it with something, do I add something or do I subtract something? Add something. I'm glad you're all on the same page with me. Yes, not a trick question once again. Yeah, if, if, if you're feeling empty, the, the solution is to add something to it. If it's empty, add to it. Right? If you're feeling empty, then you got to add something to it, which is what we try to do. We just add, 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 try to add stuff, but it's not always the right things. Now, on the flip side of that, if it's full, if, man, you're just full and you are stretched too thin, you're overwhelmed, you're like, I can't do this anymore, you don't think you can make it through another day, you're trying to cram 36 hours into 24 hours, we've all been there, right? Done that. What do you do? If you need to re reduce something, do you add or subtract? You subtract. In life, those are our two options. We can either add to it or we can take it away. The question is, what are you adding and what are you taking away? Jesus is saying, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, adding, and adding the right things and taking out some of the wrong things. Psalm 139 gives us a great prayer, verse 23 and 24, a great prayer that speaks to the adding and removing, the adding and subtracting of our life. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything, that's a, that's a bold invitation, point out anything in me that offends you, God, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. When we begin to pray that prayer, we're giving God an opportunity to search here, search here, and show us what's not right, what we've been adding that we shouldn't have been adding, what we need to take away. So here's the I will. Here's the I will. It's going to be... It's going to be part of an inventory I'm going to have you hopefully do this week. Here's the I will. I will inventory what I have allowed to fill my heart and my mind and adjust according to God's word. Inventory means you take a hard look at here and here and just like Psalm 139 says, okay, God, what's not right? Let's fix that. I need to take something out or I need to put something in because I'm not feeling fulfilled. You're not being, being and feeling fulfilled, you're not going to be able to go from this to that. The this to that is making sure you're adding the right things and pulling out the wrong things. Inventory your heart and your mind at some point this week. Next one, here we go, verse 7. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now this one, this one's kind of self-explanatory, isn't it? 
But what we see, it's like a cyclical principle throughout scripture of what was given to us, we then give back. When we are blessed, we then bless others. When we are loved, we then love others. When we are forgiven, we have to, wait, what? <laughs> I have to forgive others now? Yeah, Jesus says that. When we receive mercy, oh, we then give mercy. It's this idea of what God gives us, we then give back to those other people around us. The best way for you to short-circuit God's blessings in your life, and God, not his love, that's unconditional, but the blessings in his life, the, that life that we're all wanting is to let it end with you. Let me show you this way. Jeff, you don't know, I'm going to ask you. Can I borrow you for a second? Come here, Jeff. You're, that's what happens when you sit on the front row, folks. So come on up here, Jeff. So we've all played these types of games before, right? It's just called catch. So when you're younger, you just say, hey, you want to come out and play? That's when actually kids went outside to play. And you go and you get a basketball, you get a football, you get a baseball, and you just do this, right? Now, it's great as long as it's going back and forth. What's not so great is when then he does this, right? That's what you call taking your ball and what? Going home. Going home. And it ends, right? The game ends. As long as we're still going back and forth, it will continue. Back and forth, back. Oh, that wasn't cool, man. <laughs> Messes the whole thing up, doesn't it? Thanks, Jeff. Have a seat, man. As soon as we stop, as soon as we hold on to it and we don't keep that cycle going, we short-circuit what God intended for our lives. This to that, it cannot end with us. Blessed are the, what are they? The merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Has to go back and forth. Here's the I will. I almost forgot to give you the I will on it. I will accept the mercy God has given me and give mercy to those around me. It cannot stop with you. And just so you know, I know it's not fair. By definition, mercy is not fair. The cross is not fair. Grace and forgiveness and love is not fair. It's not based on fairness. It's based on what has been given to us. And we have been given mercy, love, grace, forgiveness. We give those back. That's how we get to that. All right, here's the next one. Blessed are the pure in heart. Verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Now, pure in heart does not mean perfect. Say not perfect. We've got to make sure we're clear on that. This is not about being perfect. It's not blessed are those that live a perfect life and have nothing wrong with them. No, go back to poor in spirit. We're broken, we're messed up, we need him. Blessed are those that are pure in heart. There's two sides to a pure heart. The first side of that is that authenticity side. It's the genuine, it's the authentic it's the real, the not fake. And we say, man, I'm full of faults. I've messed up. We own it before God. We own it before others. Instead of trying to put on a nice polished front and say, no, 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 I'm all good. I'm great. And we smile like this every time we come to church on Sunday. I can see through this. So can you, right? It's putting on, it's the opposite of putting on a front. Now, the other side to this, and we've heard of this before, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your soul, all your, did you catch all the alls? <laughs> it's all. God does not share our heart. He refuses to share our heart. Even if it's like, well, God, you know, I'm like, you've got like 80, maybe even 90% of my heart on a good day. He said, no, I want all of it. A pure heart is where it's all for him, but we also show the, the authenticity of when we mess up. Jesus loved reminding the Pharisees and the religious leaders of this one specifically, you don't have to turn there. Let me, let me just show you the grit that Jesus had and, and how he talked to the religious leaders. Keep in mind, this is to the religious leaders, the ones that thought they were perfect, but obviously were not. Matthew 23, here's how he talks about them. 
He says, but you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. See, being a hypocrite is not claiming to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus and then making a mistake and being wrong, and we all have sin in our life. That doesn't make you a hypocrite. That makes you normal. What makes you a hypocrite is saying, I follow Jesus, and I'm perfect. Now we're talking about a hypocrite. See the difference there? The Pharisees said, no, we're perfect. And the followers of Jesus said, we're not perfect, but Thank God for grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. The pure in heart, the pure in heart are authentic. They recognize their faults, but they give their hearts completely to God. Here's the I will, the I will when it comes to the pure in heart. I will be open and honest with God and others about my faults. In other words, no more hiding, no more trying to make us look better than we really are. Here's the next one. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, it doesn't say peaceful. It says peace, what was it? Makers, peacemakers. The peaceful, here's the difference. The peaceful take step backwards. The peaceful see a conflict, see a problem, and say, ooh, I don't want to get involved with that. The peaceful say, oh, I see, I see some tension. It's not my problem. The peaceful, I'll just let that go. The peacemakers say, let's figure this out. The peacemakers step into it with a lot of self-control. Understand, you cannot be a peacemaker if you're lacking self-control. The peacemaker steps into the conflict with harmony being the goal. With harmony being the goal. Not necessarily agreement, we've talked about that before, but harmony being the goal. The peacemaker is the one that sees where they are at, the this, and wants to get to that and says, I have to, I have to help along the way. There's some people in my life that I need to apologize to. I need to accept some apologies. I need, that goes back to that what's been given, we give back. To go from this to that, you have to be a peacemaker. You can't just be, well, I'm just peaceful. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to rock the boat. The peacemakers do whatever they can to make peace absolutely happen. Here's the I will that goes with it. I will control what I can and go out of my way to make peace instead of waiting for peace. Scripture even tells us, man, there's things that are out of your control. Paul tells us, do whatever you can, everything that is possible within your control to live at peace with others. There's plenty that's outside of your control, but what you can control, start there. I will go out of my way with a lot of self-control. I'll go out of my way to make peace instead of waiting for peace. Some conversations might need to be had. Some discussions might need to be had. There might need to be a little family meeting around the table at some point. Let's make the peace happen. Here's the last one, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What's interesting about those last three verses and what we would call the Beatitudes, the last of these eight, is that Jesus puts some words together in the same breath that we would never associate together. He says things like blessed and rejoice, glad, reward, in the same breath as persecuted, insulted, suffering, hurt, those concepts and those ideas. And what Jesus is getting at is if you really want to find joy and things to rejoice in, 
Is it because of who we are changing to be? So often, maybe, maybe, the greatest hindrance for us getting from this to that is we don't want the mess in between. We don't want the mess in between. In reality, do we want to deal with the changes that will go on in our life and that the people around us would see? Do we want to have to explain that? Do we want people to look at us funny and be like, oh, you used to not be like that. What's changed? Do we want, are we willing to have that conversation? Here's the I will that goes with the persecuted, those that bless those that are persecuted. It says, I will let God use me in my story to show others Jesus by my example and words. The change that will happen when you walk these things through. When you say yes to Jesus and you begin to apply what we call the Beatitudes, these eight principles for change, when you start to apply them, your life will change. Jesus said that. That's why Jesus gave these. This is not a quick steps to, to fixing your life. Please don't mishear me. This doesn't make you successful and prosperous. What does it say? It makes you blessed. It leads to change. I'll be the first to say that change might not be the change that you were hoping for. The that that's in your head might be a little different than the that that God is going to lead you to. So don't be surprised when you start walking down a path and it might not be the path that you were wanting to lead. But remember, blessed are the meek, right? We're letting him lead us and him control us. So these are the tools. This is what, this is what Jesus laid out. You want to see change in your life. You want to go from this to that. Here's where you begin to walk that through once saying yes to Jesus. Like I said, all the hard work in the world, unless you're using the right tools, isn't going to bring about any change. There's one more part to that. It's not just the tools, but it's also the people around you. And I'll tell you, man, when, when Becky had this Pinterest idea, I made sure I had the right people around me because, man, I, I, I can hold my own a little bit, but not to the point where I was ready to just start throwing hammers in my, in my formal living room. So I had some help. Let me show you some of my, my work crew. They helped me all the time. They did better than I ever could. They did incredible, right? You have people around you that work side by side, shoulder to shoulder with you, and they were a blast to be part of this project with us, with not just me. It wasn't just me and my wife, but it was our whole family. In fact, my dad, I told you I lived in Ohio and we moved around. My dad flew all the way from Ohio down here to help with this project, and I'm not sure if it's because he really wanted to spend some quality time with his son or he just didn't trust that I could pull it off on my own. I'm not sure which it was, probably a little bit of both, a little bit of both. Here's what you need to know. We often treat these as projects, and, and you know, the whole do-it-yourself projects are super popular right now, but this was not intended to happen by yourself. This to that should never be your own project, your sole project. You have to have the right people around you. You need to have other people around you. That's why we do groups and again, this is not a plug for groups. This is you understanding that this to that doesn't happen without other people in your life. Jesus using other people in your life to lead you down that road of change, the road to recovery, the road to change, call it what you will. We cannot do these without them. You want to go to this to that? Get some of the good thems around you. If you don't have them, if you don't know where to find them, start here. It doesn't have to be an MLC group for it to be impactful and helpful and lead to change? No, but if you don't have another good starting point, start here, and we'll help you find the right people. Last thing for you. It's scary to walk away from this because we've gotten so used to it. We've gotten used to the life of living with this, and we love to dream and talk about that, 
But we also are tired of putting in the work and not seeing anything happen. May you not allow fear to keep you from changing. May you not allow fear to keep you stuck in this, whatever the this is, the loneliness, the emptiness, the addictions, the depressions, the anxieties, the fears. Don't allow that fear to keep you stuck. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much for the promise of change, that you desire change in us so that we grow to become who you desire us to be, that we can begin to live the life that you have have, have promised and have given us. God, there's so many reasons why change doesn't happen in our life, and we're not here to make the excuses. You've given us the tools to move forward. May we take what you say, Jesus, and may we actually live it out. And we will not do it perfectly, but may we stumble in the right direction. And may we surround ourselves with the right people to help us move forward. Blessed are those that ultimately do what you say. May we see more life change in our lives. May we move from this to that by following you every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen.